three in oneness. Father, mother, and child are one soul and one flesh, expanding and unfolding the one image of God, united within threefold diversity and diverse within harmonic unity. That's a mouthful, wasn't it? I want to read it again. The two in oneness of, of human of the husband and wife expands with a child into three in oneness. Father, mother, and child are one soul and one flesh, expanding and unfolding the one image of God, united within threefold diversity and diverse within harmonic unity. So what, what, is, what is this about? What, how does this, does this really matter? Is this just an implication? Like, okay, God made a male and female, and that, like he wasn't surprised by what they did after that, right? He, uh, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't grossed out. He was, like, that, that was his design. He made those desires. He made all that to function the way that it functions. So then he's not surprised when they begin to have children, right? This is, this is on purpose. This is a part of the being fruitful and multiplying that, that he has built in to our creation. And so uh, we, we bear the image of a God who exists in community. We didn't focus on this when we, when we started. We, we, we mentioned it, but if you read back to Genesis 1 and 2 and, and the creation stories, when God is, is speaking, he says, let us make man in our image. Plural po- pronouns there. This is, a, this is confusing. This is a difficult topic. To, I, and, and there was a part of me this week that wished I would have taken a sermon just to talk about the Trinity, to set up the rest of this. But we won't have time to fully unpack the reality of the Trinity because and it's just beyond us. And it's a beautiful and complex doctrine that just reminds us that God is transcendent above us. But the reality that is unpacked for us in the Scripture is that our God exists within a Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's one what but three who's that exist whenever we talk about our God. It's, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but there is one God. God. The Bible's really, really, really clear about that. There is one God, but there are three persons that exist within this God. Now again, we're trying to read our understanding of, of the world and uh, into this description of God, but we need to let God be God and define us as his creation. So we, we can't fully go there today, but just know that the Trinity has a bearing on, like if, if we're going to talk about being made in the image of God, we got to know a little bit more about the image of God. The image of God, the, the truth, the picture, the reality of where our God exists is in community, that he exists. When it says that God is love, it's not just this, uh, and, and First John says that, it's not just this idea of like, oh, God's just this, you know, happy, this feeling. No, he, he is love because he exists in this relationship of love. He exists in this relationship where he is actively um, embodied. He, he is love, meaning he exists in the context of love, in this community that, that, that's in the essence of the God of whose image we're, we're made. So family isn't something that just gets added on, right? This is a part of, of God's um, intention when he um, creates humans is that they would become a family. And he has made families to nurture children into the fullness of their image-bearing humanity. So part of, part of what it means to be a human is not just to be male and female, but is actually to be a part of the family. Uh, Bavnik, who we quoted earlier, goes even further, arguing that the domestic arrangement itself, the nucleus family, is, is itself the foundation for all social order. He says this, the authority of the father, the love of the mother, 
the obedience of the child, form in their unity the threefold cord that binds together and sustains all relationships within human society. These three characteristics and gifts are always needed in every society, in every civilization, in the church and in the state. Authority, love, and obedience are the pillars of all human society. So he says, this is a continuing unfolding of what the image of God is. He says, the authority of the father, the love of the mother, and the obedience of the child form the, the very essence of the human society that's going to hold us together to keep things from falling apart. In any context, he says, and I talk to my kids about this, you got to learn to obey daddy for multiple reasons. you got to learn to obey mama for multiple reasons. Not only is it just for your good so you don't die, right? Because you don't know that car hitting you on the road will kill you, but it will. So for, for your own sake, just, just so we can get you past your second birthday, don't run. In the, like when mommy and daddy say, stop, please stop, so you don't die. But then as they get older, that gets more complex, right? Because now they have questions. Why do I have to obey? It's my room. Why do I have to clean it? it it's my, my food. Why do I have to eat it, right? Like we, we have to, and we have to begin to unpack a little bit further as the why, right? And, and I tell my kids often, like, listen, you have to learn to submit to authority. You have to learn to live under authority. Daddy has, like, I have to function under authority. The elders are my authority. They can fire me, right? I have to report to them. I have to answer to them. Other jobs, I've had a boss. You guys have bosses. You, you exist. We have the, you know, the, the government authorities over us. Like, we have to learn to function in submission to authority, right? That's just important to being a human, Maybe we shouldn't assume this, but you need, to, you need to be teaching your kids this. It's important to being a human to learn to submit to authority. So this is just a part, Bavnik says, of, of the society that there's authority, there's love, and there's obedience. And together, those things create the pillars of all human society. Why? Because that is the reality in which our God, in whose image we are made, exists within himself. It's an incredible study. I, I didn't link it in your... Uh, on your, your digital bulletin in the app, but uh, a resource I would commend to you is a small book called Delighting in the Trinity. And if you are interested, just find me afterward. I'll get you the author name because I, I forgot to, to quote it or to cite it. But uh, it's just, a, it's just a, it's a beautiful unpacking of a, a very complex doctrine. But one of the things we see is that God exists in this community and, and there, is, there is authority, there is love, and there is submission in the context of the Trinity. It's just so important as we're going to talk a little bit about marriage in just a moment. And, and so often we talk about like some of the things that are implications of this that aren't primary to our, our series on gender. But when we start talking about male and female, we start talking about uh, headship and submission. And people get, like, people shut down right then. Right? They, they shut down because that feels oppressive, that feels outdated or whatever. But, but you, you start to look at the fullness of what God means here and you see that, that okay, like if, if, you think, like if you think submitting is a negative thing, then you think Jesus was, was under oppression himself because Jesus was in full submission to his Father. All throughout Scripture, he was in full submission to the Father. The, the Holy Spirit exists to serve, to, 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 to cultivate, to, to go forward. He's called the Helper. You realize that? When Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go. Physically, I got to go. He's telling his disciples. But it's actually good news that I go because if I go, I'm going to send the helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit, right? So again, we got to redeem this idea of, you know, the, the, the woman being cre created as this second class citizen that's just there to serve the, the purpose of the man. That's not how the created order works. Why? Because that's not how our, Trinity, our Trinitarian God works. 
He's God the Father. He has authority. He is, he is uh, initiating the plans. He's providing. He's protecting. He's, he's bringing this to fruition. The Holy Spirit is there to, to, to come alongside, to make these things happen, to, to, to hover over the waters and to bring cultivating. We don't know how it all plays out, but the Spirit is there presently. The Son comes along, and, and not comes along, He's there already, right? He's not created, but, and that's complex too, but He's there to, to, to embody the idea of the family, to, to, to carry forth the mission of the Father and the Spirit in, in becoming flesh and carrying forth the mission of God to redeem sinners through salvation on the cross. And, and all the while you see this submission and this exaltation and this, what C.S. Lewis calls the dance within the Trinity. It's this give and take, this leading and following that, that, that exists not in competition, not in trying to take over from one another, but exists in beautiful harmony where there is distinction, there is difference, and yet there is there's harmony. So that's the reality that God, may, that, that God is. And so when he makes us as, his image bearers, he makes us in that same reality. He made the family. The Presbyterian Church of America, I think, is right in their uh, book of church order whenever they say the family, as ordained by God, is the basic institution of society. So before we go further, we need to just define what, what do we mean? What, do we, what, am, what am I saying the Bible means about family? It, it is a husband and wife couple. Husband and wife. Biological male, biological female, joined together in covenant marriage, and the children that are under their household, right? That, that exist, that, you know, if they haven't got married and moved on, you know, because it says once they get married, they, they leave their father and mother. There's a distinction now made there. The, 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 the line continues, but it's a husband and wife pair along with the children that are in their house. Now, this has to matter in our conversation about gender, Okay, it has to matter because, listen, a society based on, or like bent on sameness, which is where ours is coming, from a lot of different angles, from unhealthy feminism saying we need to flatten the differences between the distinction between males and females to, to uh, gender fluidity, right? A society that, that's bent on, on sameness and being able to, you know, not have these distinctions will pretend that family is just a group of two adults plus dependents, right? That it doesn't matter if, that it's a father and a son with sons and daughters. It's just a group of two adults with dependents, right? So this, this matters. Um, and this isn't just an Old Testament idea that we've moved beyond, right? As Chad reminded us, reminded us last week, these sexual variances existed in the world that Jesus stepped into to minister to. Greco-woman world was incredibly full of homosexuality and it was very prominent. And, and Jesus didn't just affirm it because it was easier, because that was what people wanted. He, he speaks with authority and he points back to the very verses we just read in Genesis and says, this is what marriage is. It's one man, one woman for a lifetime. What God has joined together, don't let man put asunder. That there is a, there's a sacredness to marriage that exists even if you're not a Christian. It's an institution given to humanity by God. And, and it's at the very heart of what it means for humans to flourish. You think about the Ten Commandments, some of those basic moral laws that we have that, that most people would ascribe and say, this is good for humanity, right? Two of them are about the family. Don't commit adultery. Why? It destroys families. 
Why? It destroys the marriage covenant. It destroys what is good and right and what God has made. So don't commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Don't, don't, don't do that. And then another one is honor your father and mother. If we're honest, that seems a little JV for everybody to have, right? But this is in the very like codifying of the Israelite nation is honor your father and mother. And it's the first commandment, as Jenna read, and we're going to see in Ephesians, that, that comes with a promise. Why? Because it'll go well for you. So, so God has in mind a man and a woman raising children, and, and there, there's a formation there, there's an intentionality to that design so that their humans are formed up into the image of God to be future citizens of the kingdom of God and to carry forth the mission of God. So let's look now at Ephesians 25. Um, there is a lot, or Ephesians 5, starting in 25. Some of y'all are like, there's not 25 chapters. You're good. Um, there's a lot to this. And we could, we could preach marriage sermons and parenting sermons on this. We're, we're going to try to just let this passage speak to the intentionality of God's design for the family and that it matters, that it is a male and a female <clears throat> that, that are carrying forth this family. Jesus refers back to the Old Testament and says, this is what marriage is. Paul here and in other places expounds even further. Um, I, I, and so this is going to talk about, you know, what it means to be a dad and what it means to be a mom and what, and how the kids function in that. And, and I want to say, just because I don't want to forget to say that certainly there are other reasons that the nuclear family doesn't look like this that aren't about sexual rebellion. Okay. This is God's design. This is God's ideal. But I, I know that there are, there are those of you who are, are, find yourself in situations in your life that uh, have nothing to do with homosexuality or same-sex or LGBTQ or any, anything like that, and yet your family doesn't look like this because of divorce or because of death or because of abandonment. There's not a mom and a dad there together. Right? And, and I just want to say that where the ideal is lacking uh, I think as Matt Chandler says, that grace abounds, right? And, and this is where the church is called to step in, that we're, where the ideal is lacking, when dad is not around, when, when mom is not around, this is where the church does fill in those gaps for those children and step in and love one another. Grandmas, aunts, grandpas, and uncles who step in and, and you know, community group members, and we, we fill those gaps. It's not ideal. It's not God's design, but this is how we love each other in the midst of a broken world. And so I just want to make, make sure that that's clear. We're talking about God's design in the primary way in which he's designed the home to work. And certainly the church is called to fill in those gaps where that ideal is lacking. And then secondarily, there are those that are called to singleness that, that won't have this be a part of their life. That doesn't mean that they're less human. Paul actually says, hey, there's a lot of benefits to that. You can get some ministry done if you don't have a family to worry about. That, that, sound, that sounds negative. You don't have that family to attend to. But Paul's saying, listen, if you have a responsibility, you, you, you get married, you're responsible for that wife now. You get, you get married, you have a responsibility to that husband now, right? You start having kids, you're responsible for them. It's not wrong, but that's your primary responsibility. And that's going to inform whether or not you can go to certain places and do certain things that the single man or the single woman might be able to do because they don't have those responsibilities. So singleness isn't a bad thing. And there are those who are called to that uh, for a lifetime. And there are those that will experience that for an extended season. And, and there's, you shouldn't feel less than human. We're, we're simply talking about what does a family mean and, and how does it carry on the image of God and continue to unfold the image of God. So Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25, 
<clears throat> well, I guess I need to start in verse, we'll start in verse 25. 22 through 24 talks about wives submitting to their husbands. Um, we're just going to go there. For the husband is the head of the wife, verse 23, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself the Savior. So I want you, what I want you to notice as we read this is the, inner, the, the intertwining of the Trinitarian language that, that exists. As Paul talks about the family, marriage, and kids, I want you to look for signs of the Trinity in there. Okay, So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit uh, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he might be, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is, that is directly from Genesis 2. That is 2, Genesis 2.24, just directly quoted right here. And he goes, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul is saying, listen, this idea of marriage, it's not rooted in bigotry or in chauvinism or in abuse. It's rooted in the creation. It's rooted in the creation and it's displayed for us, modeled for us in the way that Christ has loved the church. That God created marriage to be a physical illustration of his love for his people. God pursuing a people. God coming after a people, like romancing a people, extending himself to a people. And that people being the church, receiving that pursuit from our God, receiving the initiation of our good God. This is paralleled for us, illustrated for us when a man pursues a woman. Both just in romance as they're dating Men, you should be, you should, it's not wrong for you to have a desire to take a wife. Some of you weren't taught really well how to go get a wife, how to pursue a woman, how to make yourself attractive, how to get your own mission, get a doggone job and, and have a way to provide and protect, right? Like you can't do that if you don't, like you can't do that by playing video games. You gotta have a real job, right? Some of us weren't set up for that, but this is how God has designed us to be men that are pursuing a woman and then, that woman receives that pursuit from the man. There's nothing, there's nothing abusive in that. There's nothing harsh in that. There, there's, there's beauty in that. There's a, there's a dance in that. There's, there's, a, there's a, a beautiful unity that comes from that. And, and God says, and as you're wondering what the standard's supposed to be, how that's supposed to look, because we live in a world of sin where men become selfish and abusive, and women become domineering and, 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 or dismissive of their own value. Like, when you wonder how that's supposed to play out, because you're seeing the variances, you're seeing deviations, you're seeing unhealth, where should you look? You look to Christ and how he loves the church. That's your standard. That's what this is supposed to look like. How does Christ love the church? 
He gave himself up for her. All of himself for her. He came, he served, he poured out, he, he, he gave his own body to the point of his own blood being spilled that you just partook, you know, you know right here. At this, this meal of communion is a display of the love of Christ and how he loved the church. He gave himself up for her. And then he continues to love her, to present her, to bring out the best in her, to cultivate goodness in her. This is how he loves the church. And this is how husbands are to love their wives. And then wives are... Like the church is to receive that love from Christ with, with gladness, with glad obedience. Likewise, wives are to receive that pursuit of that husband, sacrificially bearing the burden, sacrificially pursuing and, and providing and protecting, to receive that with gladness. Okay, so this is, this is rooted in, and now we're going to go on. Chapter 6, he goes on to say, and now the rest of the image-bearing entity of the family, children, what are you supposed to do? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is directly quoted from the Ten Commandments, and he says, he, Paul adds a caveat. This is the first commandment, not a caveat, in addition here, with a promise. This, this matters because it says, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and that may you, live lo- you may live long in your land. Fathers, okay, so he talks about how children are supposed to be obedient. So dads, loving their wives in such a way, wives receiving that, they're going to create children, children come along. What's the children's role? Primarily to obey, to be formed, to be shaped to obey. But he's going to go on to say, now listen, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so he's setting up for us this this parameters, this guidance of what a family is supposed to look like and how it leads to our flourishing. Remember, God doesn't give us rules. He doesn't give us laws to take from us, right, church? You've been around a while. You should know this. God gives us laws. He gives us rules to lead us to life. He's never trying to steal from us. He's always trying to lead us to life. So he says, this is how family functions. Dad, mom, bring forth children. Their two-ness, two-in-oneness comes to three-in-oneness, same flesh. Man, there's beauty in that, isn't there? There's beauty in that. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's, it's, it's incredible. The miracle of life, it's incredible. You got biological kids, you look at like, man, she's got... She's got my lips. We got, you know, your head. She got your athletic ability and my, you know, lack of common sense. And we just, you know, but they, she looks. This one right here looks just like me, right? And but but then my other two, they, they, there's distinction. They got a little bit of the, a little bit of me, a little bit of Riley. And it's so fun to look at those genetic the way they, they play themselves out. Some of y'all have strong genes in your in your family. You just like people look at you and they're like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a such and such, right? You just got strong genetics, right? It's flesh in my flesh, bone in my bones. There is something beautiful to that and, and intentional with that. And so we create children. They're born into our household. They come in other ways. Right? One adopted boy, one we're hoping to do here soon. And the judge says. He's yours, as though he was born to your very bloodline. He's ours, right? Okay, that's, that's my kid. He does not have my genetics, but he's, he's my kid. So what's our role? Well, fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Does that mean dads do all the parenting? No, it means just like in the, in the garden, when Adam was given the instruction to, to, to work it, to keep it, to protect it, don't eat of that because that... that that will, that will go badly. Protect it. Adam is given the primary responsibility. He's, he's held accountable. Okay? Dads, we're held accountable. 
doesn't mean we have all the responsibility, but it means when our families aren't being discipled, when our families aren't being brought up in the fear of the Lord, God's going to call us to the door. Hold us accountable. So dads, providing, protecting, providing authority in the image of God. Specifically, God the Father. Moms, coming alongside, right? Um, supporting that role, complementing that the, the strengths of dad and, and filling in the gaps of the, the weaknesses and, and, and standing in much like the spirit coming alongside as the helper, the sustainer, the life giver, the cultivator. You know that the spirit is the one that brings forth life in you? Not just your initial like bringing you to faith, but you know who continues to convict you of sin and grow you in your faith and, and make you into a child of God further and further and further? That's the spirit. He's a life giver. He, he, he's drawing this out in you. Why, Ladies, that's, that's a primary role for you in your household. It's to create life, to cultivate that, to teach, to learn, to grow, model. And then children are born. right? And, and then they come in, and, and much like the son, Jesus himself, they're there to, to, to be in obedient submission. To function as this, this is, this is my flesh, this is it's continuing on our name, and, and now this is responsibility, parents, to, to form them, grow them up, right? And this, is, and this matters. And Okay, so this is God's design, and those children are raised up in the image of God, and hopefully in the instruction, right, as it says, the discipline instruction of the Lord to be image bearers, to understand who they are. They start to learn who they are in the midst of a family. They have diversity, but yet unity. It's important that our kids learn this at home, Right? It's important that they learn that their, their individuality, their personality shouldn't be squashed to be a part of a group, to be members, but rather they're, 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 most, they're most themselves when they find themselves in the role that God has put them. So they are, they're called to, to not become like older brother or sister or even like mom or dad. They are distinct persons in the midst of this family that are accepted fully and together have a, have a greater presence and bearing on what the world sees in the image of God. So our kids learn that in the home. So does it matter, though, that it's a man and that it's a woman, or can it be just two adults and some dependents? If we're going to go back to previous sermons, previous premise, that God has made us male and female and called it good, that we're going to be image bearers in our maleness and in our femaleness, then it matters that we have men and women present in the raising of our children. It matters. It matters because this is the place that our children are supposed to see what strength actually looks like. Strength that is bridled by gentleness. Strength that's manifested not in abuse and in, in, in chauvinism, but, but manifested in giving of themselves for the sake of others. This is, the home is where our, our, our young boys are supposed to see what they're supposed to grow up and be like in their dads. The home is where, is where our young daughters are supposed to see what they're supposed to look for in their future husbands, how they're to be treated by men. The home is where our children are supposed to see women embody godly beauty and, and to display it rightly in the home and, and for their husband. To, to, my goodness, church, we gotta do a better job at teaching about sex. 
It's a, that's a different topic, but like we got we to we do a better job of showing our children what God's good design is. But, but women embody the beauty that God has given them in a way that's not objectified, in a way that's not, you know, manip- but rather this is how God has made us to, to, to be beautiful, to be, and then to give life, to, to nurture, to care for others, to pour out their lives, to see femininity on display as the helper, as the nurturer, as the life giver. Our young girls are supposed to see how they're supposed to live. Our young boys are supposed to see the dignity, the value, how they're supposed to treat those women and what they should expect from a woman. So yeah, it matters. It matters immensely. It matters that that our kids see a right embodiment of masculinity and femininity, not colored by culture. Moms, this doesn't mean that you have to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Again, we talked about this in the womanhood sermon. you You might want to be out there on the dirt bike with the kids, right? That's all good. It's not talking about cultural norms. We're talking about God has made men to provide and to protect. He's made women to, to bring forth life, to, to be nurturers and life givers. That can, there's a lot of overlap and interest and hobbies. and That's not the point. But we need to be a home that's creating biblical masculinity, biblical femininity, and raising up kids that understand the value and the beauty Our kids should leave our home knowing that it's a good thing to be a woman. It's a good thing to be a man. That one shouldn't try to become the other. That one shouldn't try to, you know, take over the other in order to have value. That our world is really confused about this, but God's word is really clear. And following God's word leads to flourishing. Our kids need to leave our homes with that. We're committed to coming alongside of you. We're preparing some resources. We're talking about this with your students back in junior high high school on Sunday nights. So we're preparing, curating some children's resources for you. But this is primarily on, on y'all in the home. So it matters. Family matters. Male, female, that matters. Why? Because that's how God made us. His design is for our good. As we wrap up, though, if you come here today confused, scared, unsure of why you feel the way you feel, have the desires that you do, the attraction that you do, you can't start here. You have to start with surrendering yourself to Jesus. As Chad said last week, this, the, the issue is sin. It just it plays itself out in different ways, yeah. But the, the answer to sin is the gospel. So wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with, just know that the, that the offer from our Jesus is to forgive you, to heal you and restore you. So, man, these other things will fall into place as you surrender your life to him, but you need to start there. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, man, would you... Place your faith and trust in him today. How do you do that? It's real simple. You just confess that you're a sinner in need of a savior and that Jesus is that savior. And say, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. I'm giving my life to you. And he says, you'll be saved. You can do that right now in your seat. We would love to celebrate with you. 
But church, know that this all has to come back to the gospel. For those of you who have failed to be present in your home the way that you should to embody the, the image that God has had for you, the answer is repent, return to the Lord, and go forward from here. The gospel is always good news. Always good news. Wherever you find yourself in the, in the journey of life, the gospel is always good news. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for that truth, and I pray that you would make it clear to your people here in this place this morning that your spirit would come and, and, and bring clarity to our hearts and minds and bring hope and salvation to our souls and our, and our flesh. I pray that you would help us to have a clear picture of who you've called us to be, that we would surrender to that, and that we would live as a people, as a city set on a hill in the world of darkness, that you would make us as your people, your church at large, particularly the Journey Church. Lord, would you make us to be like a city set on a hill, a light in the midst of darkness, salt and light in the midst of a dying and decaying world. But right now we bring ourselves to you and we ask that you would heal our confusion, heal our pain, define our humanity by your blood. Would your spirit come and do that? I pray that truth over our church, that, that, that our identity would be so clearly confirmed as belonging to you, purchased by your blood, property of Jesus Christ, that that would reign over this church and over this place today, and that that would cause chains of addiction to fall flat on the floor, that it would cause sexual confusion to be um, restored and healed, or at least hope brought to and forgiveness into the midst of that. Lord, I pray for all the situations that, that are present and represented here in this place, that your gospel, that the good news, that your identity given to us through your blood would have its full effect on us as your people today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.